Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, Crossing, and to those of you online, as the video said, my name is Ali, and I'm, my wife and I, we planted a church in Silicon Valley, the most unchurched region in the entire country, three years ago. Uh, and we've seen 200 people say yes to Jesus for the first time, and a lot of it is because of your faithfulness and support. They say people don't listen to you until you show them your family, so let me show you a picture of my wife and kids. Uh, any husbands that married up, this is a softball pitch, guys, every hand should be going up right now. I got two kids, five and two, they eat me out of house and home, pray for me. Uh, I, I love your pastor, Pastor Shane, and your executive pastor, uh, Pastor Lee. They have been so supportive for the last three years. And specifically Shane, man, he gave me access to him. He invited me, uh, just prayed for me, encouraged me. Can we just honor Pastor Shane real quick? You guys have an amazing pastor. And Pastor Lee and I, we, we, we probably talk once a month. And uh, he coaches me, helps me. And I said, bro, I'm coming to Las Vegas. I preach very differently in Silicon Valley. I'm like, can I be me? He's like, yeah, so some of you are going to love today. You're going to laugh. You're going to cry. Some of you are religious. You're just going to sit there with your butt cheeks clenched for the next 30 minutes. It's okay. It's okay. You can thank me for giving you Jesus and a free workout. But I got 28 minutes to give you a message about Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. It's on the screen. This is Nehemiah 1 chapter verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 12th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah while the other while some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I want to preach to you around the next 30 minutes around this idea of pick it up. Someone say pick it up. Pick it up. I, I need help preaching this sermon today. So if you hear something good, say amen. Help me. So turn to your neighbor and say pick it up. <laughs> turn to another neighbor that you forsaked in church. Come on, let's be real this morning. And say pick it up. <laughs> let's pray. God, thank you so much, Lord, that we didn't just come to study you. came to experience you. God, we want to leave this place talking more like you, looking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said, amen. amen. And show of hands, I need audience participation. You are a foodie. You love food. Show of hands, come on. Oh, even though I don't look like it, I'm a massive foodie. And primarily because I have this spiritual gift where when, when I eat, San Jose Shark fans get fat. It's awesome. <laughs> and uh, as the video said, I'm Silicon Valley born and raised on the playground. It's where I spent most of my days. And California is 50% Hispanic. Silicon Valley is 30% Hispanic. The reason why I tell you this is we have the best Mexican food outside of Mexico. And my life changed when I went to college. San Luis Obispo, a small rural college town, barbecue country, farm country. There's literally no drive throughs no Walmarts. Everyone and their mom drives an F-150 country. This is like different, right? There, there are two Mexican spots. One of them is a Carl's Jr. and Green Burrito. You know, so if you eat it, something green is coming at you. You know what I'm saying? And this is 1999. There's no Yelp. Right? Like, Yelp is powerful because it tells you this hole in the wall, it's amazing. You can go in. You can trust it. You, can risk, you don't have to risk your life. That, that's the power of Yelp, that looks can be deceiving. And, and you got to understand, like, there was this one spot uh, that, 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 like, I avoided for three years called Chili Peppers. And 
I drove by it every day for three years. I got sick of Subway. I got sick of Jamba Juice. I said, you know what? I'm going to go in. And when I went in and tried it, I'm t- I mean, there are good burritos, and this is like the top five I've ever had in my life. It was amazing. I went every day for 10 days straight. I'm telling you, there's someone in San Jose living their 600-pound life because of me. I love this place so much, I started bringing, I was like an ambassador. I'm bringing friends. And one time we're in line and uh, we're just chatting up and we can look into the kitchen because one of those places where you like, see into the kitchen and I'm cooking, there's a lady in the back. She's stirring this big pot of beans. No joke. She takes the spoon out, puts it in her mouth, and then sticks it back in. And of course I didn't leave. I love this place too much. I said, come on. <laughs> Carl's Jr. Green Burrito? No, no. So I'll take a super burrito, no beans, no beans. <laughs> and I think many of you can relate to this story. I, I drove by that place every day for three years, but I never went in because it was ugly. It was a hole in the wall. It's the kind of place where when you wipe your feet, when you leave, the, dirt, the establishment is so dirty, right? It's the kind of place where you, when you go to the bathroom, you have to hold your breath for two minutes because you can't breathe. And these are the places that we avoid. These are the places that we don't go into. But my challenge for you this morning, Crossing, is that we don't just do that with buildings. We do that with people. That we avoid people. We overlook them. We walk by them. We, we, we discard them because they look different than us. They dress different than us. They vote different than us. And they have different faith than us. And so we don't see any value. We think they're worthless, and so we just avoid them. In the same way that God dramatically changed my experience with Mexican food at that one place, God wants to dramatically change your life because every day you're walking by a miracle. And God says, I want to do something amazing there. And you look at the same thing, you're like, I see no value there, God. No value. And that's the, the exact context of our story this morning. We're looking at the book of Nehemiah. It's an entire book of the Bible devoted to this dude. I love Nehemiah because Nehemiah is not a pastor. He's not a, a, a prophet. He's not a miracle worker. He's a normal dude and, or a dude at like equal opportunities. Normal like us. And God uses him to do an amazing thing for the nation of Israel. And the time here is 44 B.C. And this is significant because Israel has abandoned God. They've walked away. And God said, man, I love you guys. But like the prodigal son, he just lets them go. And God removes his hand of protection. And the Babylonians have come in not once, not twice, but three times. And they've sieged Israel, which means they broke down the walls and they've burned the gates. And they've taken people with them. This is where we get the exile. The stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The exile is very encouraging for you and I. Why, Pastor Ali? Because God used a bunch of Christians who were outnumbered by the culture, and they didn't just survive, they thrived. Listen, if God can use them in Babylon, he can use us in Las Vegas, amen? He can influence the culture. That's, that's why the, the exile is encouraging. But now the, the Persians have come in. King Artaxerxes, he's Nehemiah's new boss, and according to Scripture, once you go Persian, there's no better version. It's just, okay, I'm just being biblical here. And they say they're ridiculously good-looking. I don't know, I don't know. I'm just, again, I'm preaching the gospel. And, and, and let me just, we're just going to walk through and do a Bible study. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 says this. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And the question is, well, when did this happen, Pastor Ali? Was this like a year ago and Nehemiah's crying? No. Like five years ago? No. Ten? No. This, the walls of Jerusalem broke down 141 years ago. 
And the question is, why is Nehemiah so struck? Look at his response. When I heard these things, things he already knew, every Jew knew that the walls of Jerusalem were broken. I sat down and wept, but Nehemiah didn't care. That's my challenge for you this morning. I'm probably not going to tell you anything new. You guys have an amazing teacher in Pastor Shane. But what I am praying is that in that moment, Nehemiah heard something he already knew, and God whispered in his heart, Nehemiah, I want you to pick it up. That's my prayer. The same way that God broke Nehemiah's heart for things he already knew, that God would whisper in your spirit this morning, pick it up, someone you walk past every day, someone you don't care about, someone you overlook because you see no value there. Their life is a train wreck, their marriage is broken, and you walk past them. And you and I walk past them, and when God looks at the exact same thing, he weeps. And what's so beautiful is that Nehemiah is not weeping over broken walls. He's not crying over brick and mortar. He's crying because the walls, what they represent. Without walls, there's no protection. Without walls, there's no hope. Without walls, lives are broken. Marriages are broken. Families are broken. Nehemiah is crying for broken people. That's what I want to do this morning is give you a God vision. A God vision is this, a, a frustration with what is, and it'll create a passion for what could be. Are you and God crying about the same thing? Are you concerned about what God's concerned about? Do you love the things that God loves? And that's what God does. You and I will look at the exact same thing, like, I see no value, and I'll walk on. Yet isn't it interesting that, that Satan and Jesus will both pursue the same lost person? That communicates something to us, doesn't it? That they see value that you and I don't see. And that's what a God dream is, is that God will give you his heart for not a thing, but a person. And I love where this happens. Nehemiah 1 verse 11 says this. I was cupbearer. Someone say cupbearer. This is 11. You had two cups of coffee. Someone say cupbearer. Come on. Cupbearer. You're not going to find this job on LinkedIn. You're not going to find this job on Monster.com. What is a cupbearer? See, the cupbearer, he has to try the food before the king does. So if the king is having tacos and a cerveza because he's spirit-filled, Nehemiah has to... Now imagine, the king has to do this three times a day, and if he's on a keto diet, five times a day. So Nehemiah, he'd grab the cup, and he'd go... (coughs) It's good, just wrong pipe. You can have this king. And he'd hand the king the drink... And it's in cush. It's in luxury. It's in an air-conditioned building, a thousand miles from home. Nehemiah is not a pastor. He's not a youth leader who's in seminary. He's not a youth pastor leading a bunch of cats, trying to lead them to Jesus. It's not in a prayer closet. He's a thousand miles from home, eating filet mignon and drinking champagne. And it's there that God breaks his heart. And that's what I'm praying for you this morning, that God would break your heart for the things that you walk past every single day. Because until you see what he sees, you'll keep walking by. And I'm praying that the Spirit of God would, be, would say to you, pick it up. I had my Nehemiah 1 experience 15 years ago. I got saved at 24, the video said. Uh, my first year in Christianity, imagine, I'm a Muslim, and now I'm a Christian. I, I, I did what Christians do. We go to ugly buildings on Sunday and sing songs for Australia. Come on, Hillsong. <laughs> And then I do what everyone else does. I, I, I put a pagan tree in my house and tell all my friends that a fat German is going to leave gifts for us. Come on. <laughs> Christian. I'm American Christian. I had no purpose, no mission, no direction. It was just comfort. 
And one summer, as a 25-year-old, I went to Mexico with some high school friends and went to Hawaii with some church friends. How I many of you know those are very different vacations? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> one's full of the Holy Spirit and one's full of a different kind of spirit. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Don't judge me, though. Don't judge me. This is before I was a pastor, before I was paid to be good. Back then, I was like you guys. <laughs> I was good for nothing. And we're sitting at, we land at... It was a Sunday evening. We land at noon, and at 6 o'clock that night, we're all sitting down at a dinner table saying, where are we going to go? Europe, Mexico, Africa. Where are we going to go next summer? Australia. Like, there, every idea was on the table. And, I, and the whole time, I could feel the conviction of God. And I'm only, I've only been a Christian for a year, but I know my dad's voice. So guys, i got to go to the bathroom. Walk to the bathroom, and as soon as I get alone with God, I say, God, what, what are you saying? I can feel I can sense you. And God asked me a question that changed the trajectory of my life. He said, Ali, when are you going to help me rescue my lost kids? See, I knew lost people existed. I never cared. Nehemiah, he knew the walls of Jerusalem. Every Jew knew. But he didn't care. And for the next seven years, I went to Mexico, I went to Turkey, I went to Jordan, I went to Iran, and my passion and my heart for lost people kept growing. So when people say, Pastor Ali, why would you plant a church? I'm like, I've been doing this for 10 years. My love for lost people grew, but it, it began when God whispered in my spirit, Ali, pick it up. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that the Spirit of God would whisper into your heart, pick it up. And there are three things I want to give you this morning. Three leadership, Nehemiah leadership principles. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. We, we were very unchurched in Silicon Valley. I say, hey, if you, if you want to go to heaven, you're more likely to take notes in church. And I'm feeling like, whoa. How much more likely? Like, they say 95%, so you want to write this down. <laughs> A God vision rarely requires immediate action. It always requires patience. Before you put it on Facebook, go to the prayer closet. Before you put it on the gram, pray about it. One theologian says, before you talk to men about God, talk to God about men. You got you to get alone. You got to get alone with God because he wants to build something in your spirit. He wants to refine you. He wants to change you, even your perception of yourself. He has to build something in you that you don't have the strength to carry. And it only happens in the prayer closet. And this is where most God dreams die. You got a frustration with something, and God gives you a vision. You're like, oh, we got to go, we got to go. No, no, no. The first thing you got to do is before you do anything with your feet or your hands, you got to do it with your knees. You got to pray because God expands the vision in the prayer closet. I told you at the beginning of my sermon, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. My two-year-old, her favorite line right now is, Dad, Dad, I hungry. And so we'll put dinner in front of her, and, you know, and she goes, no, 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 no. She pushes away. I'm like, okay, she's not hungry. So we'll clean up dinner. She goes, Dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, what? Snack. I'm like, oh, you're hungry for dinner. You're hungry for a snack. Any, any parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. So we, and she says it with a lisp, so I can't get angry. Of course, I give her a snack. So we're in the pantry one day, and she goes, Dad, strawberry. I'm like, honey, those are in the fridge. She goes, not Dad, strawberry. And I'm like, no, honey, I don't know what you're talking about. She kind of does this, like, just pick me up, you idiot. Like, <laughs> so I pick her up, right, and she leans into the pantry. And she grabs this box of goldfish, and buy, would you believe there's a bag of dehydrated strawberries? I'm like, my daughter's a prodigy. Where did she come from? <laughs> That's what God does. For four months, 
Nehemiah is praying. And we don't know any of his prayers except for one. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11 says this. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. What he's saying is, God, give me the king, ear of the king. Give me the ear of the king. And to the prayers of, of your servants who delight in revering your name, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. When God gives you a God dream, a, a frustration with what is and a passion for what could be, he wants you to do two things. First one is this. Write this down. Opportunity. Somebody shout opportunity. opportunity. Some of you are waiting on a miracle. And you need to stop. I believe in signs and wonders. I believe God can do anything he wants. But Nehemiah doesn't pray, God, like Mary Poppins, let me snap my fingers and send bricks and rebuild the walls. He says, give me an opportunity. Give me the king's ear. I know you can part the Red Sea, but if you give me a boat, I'll get over on the same other side as well. Some of you need to pray for not a miracle, but an opportunity. God wants to use you. You know what it is a miracle already? You are a walking, talking miracle. God did not come to make bad people good. He made dead people come alive. You are a walking miracle. And I had to learn this the hard way in church planning. See, I was an, a software engineer for 14 years. I was a nerd. These glasses are very nerdy. Yes, I, I was a nerd for 14 years. And I had never been on staff until I started my church. I didn't even finish seminary. Don't tell anyone. Come on. So when I, when I began to step out and wanted to plant this church, some of my mentors, especially one of them, he's like one of the most successful church planners on the West Coast. I'm not going to mention his name, but this man has influence. And when I told him I wanted to start a church, he's like, you, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. And he didn't just say no. He began to tell all his friends not to support me. So imagine I'm emailing all the pastors in the Bay Area, like 30 of them. Nine of them respond back to me. Can't wait to tell, have coffee with them, tell them I want to start this church. All nine of them, all nine of them across the table when I'm inviting them to help me start the church, all nine of them tried to hire me to be on their staff. I said, dude, I'm trying to start a church. What do you mean work for you? I'm like, where are you getting this idea from? I'm like, oh, that one guy told us you shouldn't, you shouldn't start a church. Man, can I just be honest? I prayed that guy would get diarrhea. Come on. <laughs> I'm just being real. Come on. And I prayed for miracles. God, give him a dream. Show him I'm a, a church planner. And God didn't do that. God, God could have done that, but he didn't. And my prayer changed. I said, God, give me an opportunity to show my calling. Three months after I began praying that prayer, his executive pastor called me. He's like, hey, you come preach for us? I'm like, awesome. Just took my skinny jeans that many of you think my wife should be wearing. I went there. No, no, no keep laughing. I, I, it's good for counseling. It's awesome. Thank you. So I went there, preached my heart out, and the executive pastor's son, that was his favorite sermon all summer long. A week after I preached that sermon, the, the pastor calls me into his office. And we began chatting. He goes, I, sh I just need to apologize. I was wrong about you. What can I do? I said, dude, can you email that guy and that guy? and that guy, and tell them what you just told me, that one email, I'm not even lying, $150,000 to help raise our church. Crazy. And I'm not telling you the story because like, oh my gosh, God takes your haters and makes them elevators. That's not, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is I didn't pray for a miracle. Some of you are waiting on God for a miracle, and God's waiting on you. You need to pray for an opportunity. Number two, Nehemiah prays for favor. Somebody say favor. favor. Favor is excessive kindness, preferential treatment. If you are in Christ, you have the favor of God on your life. You have the favor of God in your life. 
And the beautiful thing about favor is you're not going to feel it. You don't even know when it's on you. Let me give you two stories in the Bible. There's this 14-year-old girl with braces, listening to Justin Bieber, he's having a good night, and an angel comes and says, Mary, you who are highly favored. And the Bible says she's afraid. You can have favor and not even know it, because listen, favor is not a feeling. Nehemiah was favored. For four months, this man is praying, praying in his prayer closet, praying for an opportunity, praying for favor. And it's on his life, he doesn't even know it. And one day he's in, in the presence of the king, and his face is sad. Go read Nehemiah chapter 2. king says, why are you sad? Nehemiah prays and says, because my people are in ruin. Would you, would you give me an opportunity to go back? And this pagan king, who's not even a Christian, who doesn't even love or know the God of the Bible, grants him money, lumber, letters of recommendation, makes him the mayor of Jerusalem. Nehemiah was favored and didn't even know it. And some of you, you're praying for a miracle when you already have the favor of God on your life. God wants to use you, not, not one day, right now. And Nehemiah prays for four months. And that's what you got to realize, that when God gives you a God vision, there's a season of waiting. Moses had to wait 40 years. Nehemiah had to wait four months. People say, hey, Pastor Ali, God give me this vision. How long do I wait? Anywhere between four months and 40 years. we got to wait, though. And how does a slave who's not a priest, who's not a prophet, who's a thousand miles from home, how does he get the Godfidence to go step out? Point number two is this. God... A God vision. Always. Someone say always. Always uses unqualified. If you think you're qualified, you're unqualified. That's the truth. I, I've been pastoring for 10 years. I get people all the time, oh my gosh, Pastor, that was a good sermon. Oh, thank you for Monday motivation. But you don't know my story. God can't use me. You don't know what I've been through. I'm divorced. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be a Lakers fan. God doesn't use those people. <laughs> You're right. Kidding, I'm kidding. But people always give me reasons why God can't use them. And the moment you tell me God can't use you is the moment you reveal to me that you've actually never read your Bible. Because the Bible is filled with jokers, tokers, and midnight smokers. <laughs> Let me do a quick Bible study through some characters in the Bible. Noah was a drunkard. Any drunkards in the house, God can use you. Abraham, he's 100 years old. That's not crazy. That's nasty. <laughs> His wife is 90 and he's 100 and they're having sex. That's crazy, right? And then imagine, every morning Sarah, his wife, would wake up and change her Isaac's diaper. And then she'd turn around and change Abraham's diaper because he's 100. <laughs> he can use you. Jacob was a liar, liar, pants on fire. Joseph was a spoiled brat. Moses had a, 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 a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. And Samson, oh my gosh, Samson had long hair. Don't tell me, Pastor Ali. God used two people in history with long hair. Fabio and Samson. You have short hair, it's time to cut it because God can't use anyone else. And all you girls are like, oh my gosh, Chris Hemsworth, listen. He wasn't cool and Thor until Ragnarok when he cut it off. Stop being a heretic. God doesn't use people with long hair. Jeremiah was too young. King David had an affair and a murderer. None of you done that before? Come on, he can use you. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Let me be biblical for a second. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt and John the Baptist ate bugs and not bacon. Come on. Only God can use vegans. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. 
Peter denied Christ not once, but three times. The disciples, they fell asleep while praying. But you guys have never done that before. You guys are super righteous here. Martha, she worried about everything, and that's a sin. The Samaritan was divorced not once, not five times. We used to stop counting after five. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had ulcers, and Lazarus wasn't even breathing. Homie was dead, and God used him. God can use you. Amen? God can use anyone. And too often, we disqualify ourselves before we even start. Because we think God needs this kind of person or that kind of person. Listen, I'm wearing my wife's jeans. He uses me. Come on, he can use anyone. (laughs) And there's nothing in the text that suggests that Nehemiah earned this or deserved this or did something to achieve it. Favor ain't fair. And he wants to use you. You got to start praying for an opportunity. You got to start praying for favor. And the third thing Before I get there, though, Nehemiah goes to the king, gets all the money, comes the mayor of Jerusalem, and spoiler alert, maybe you'll read it this week, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he does a miracle. What had been broken for 141 years, read what happens in Nehemiah chapter 6. So the wall was completed on the 12th day of the 25th day of the in 52 days. God rebuilt it in 52 days what had been broken for 140. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. This last point is my favorite, and that God, a God vision, rebuilds with leftovers. God rebuilds with the leftovers. See, Nehemiah, he's a, he's a, you got to understand, he's a, he's a cupbearer. All he does all day is just hand the king a cup. That means dude does not have ugly fingernails. He's got a manicure. He's, he's, he's a, what's that term we use in our culture? Um, I forget, metrosexual. He's, he's definitely one of those, right? This man has never been to Home Depot in his life. Like we have this image that he like kind of shows up with a big truck with bricks. Come on, guys, let's rebuild the wall. They did not use new material. Historians and theologians tell us that they rebuilt the wall. Listen, with the broken pieces. Nehemiah picked it up. He bent down and they rebuilt the wall with the leftovers. The leftovers that the people of Israel would walk over every single day. The parts of the, their life that they didn't see any value in. See, God values worthless things. That doesn't make sense, Pastor Ali, exactly. Because if you and I read God's Yelp review, we would pick it up. So you imagine every day that the Israelites, they'd, they'd go to work and they'd kind of step over the wall. And they'd say, oh, it's, it's just broken. When is, when is Israel going to fix this? We do this all the time in Las Vegas. We hit a pothole. Like, Come on, Las Vegas. When are you going to fix this pothole? You just become complacent in the brokenness. When are you going to change? When are you going to get your life together? When are you going to get a job? When are you going to fix your marriage? And what we do is we just step over those people, expecting them to fix it. When God wants us to pick it up. My question for you this morning is, what's your it? What's your it? It's magic. What's your it? What do you walk past every single day? For some of you, it's your marriage. 
Your marriage was the best day of your life. Like, oh, till death do us part, boo. Now two kids later, five years later, you're like, when are you going to die so we can part? <laughs> and you come to church and you fight and yell the whole way. And you come inside church, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored of the Lord, how are you? <laughs> I'm a pastor, I know how it is, come on. You're roommates now. And you long for a new spouse. And God doesn't want to give you a new marriage. He wants you to pick it up. Some of you, it's your purpose. God spoke to you when you first accepted Christ. He gave you a vision, a dream. But then like all of us, all of us, we had a prodigal season where we kind of walked away. And every time we come to church, we step over our purpose. God can't use me. I made that one mistake, that one night. God wants not to give you a new calling and a new life, but he wants you to pick it up. For some of you, it's your family. A dad who wasn't there, should have been a sibling that you want to give up for adoption. Let's be real, come on. God doesn't want to give you a new family. He wants you to bring healing to your family by picking it up. What's your it? That person in your life, Pastor Ali, he couldn't possibly be my boss. He's the devil. I know. God wants you to be a light in a dark place. Before Nehemiah heard, pick it up, God was weeping over the walls of Jerusalem. He just shared with Nehemiah what he was already feeling. And that's what I'm praying for today. If there's someone in your life that God is already weeping about, he wants you to start weeping about it. And he wants to whisper in your spirit, pick it up. There was a dude in my high school. Every high school has one of these people. Voted most racist, most likely to be a terrorist. Crazy dude. We all need it, you know, right? Feel good about ourselves. And uh, back in 1999, 2003, this is like Facebook. This is how we connect with people. It was only for college students. Anyone remember that time before it was like take pictures of your food? But back then, that, that's how we connect with people was, was Facebook. In college, this guy would pass out and get drunk and he got married and his marriage collapsed and dude, he was the least likely person in our group of friends to ever go to church and then we found out on Facebook that he became a Christian like, whoa this dude that would never go to church is now going every single week amazing he's in Vegas now and when I came out here I said bro you need to come I didn't tell Pastor Shane or Pastor Lee this but I am. You guys want to meet him? He's here. Yeah. Come on. Bro, hey, it's time for you to come out. That man is me. And, and 15 years ago, my sister, she got down and she picked it up. For five years, she stepped over me, never once invited me to church. And when she was in college, 
God whispered, you are my brother. Pick it up. I wonder who's in your life that they vote differently than you. They have different skin color than you. They dress differently than you. And you walk past them every day because you don't see value. And God weeps over them. And God wants to use you because you're already favored. Pick it up. Someone say, pick it up. What I love about the crossing is that when your church was started by Shane Phillips, he had a dream to pick it up. And since 2008, he has partnered with 40 church planners. Crazy, amazing. You guys baptize 400 people every year, but the number of baptisms that you guys have outside the four walls may be greater. You guys have invested $1.7 million in church planning. And before Nehemiah heard the Spirit of God say, pick it up, before my sister heard it, before Shane Phillips heard it, before even I heard it, God the Father in heaven turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you go pick it up? My people are dead in their trespasses and sin. They, they can't come to me. You got to go. And Jesus says, the, for the joy that was set before him, the cross was not joyful. It was painful. But he endured it. The gospel is God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. God, he was the perfect brick and God broke him. So the broken bricks on the ground like me and you could be put back together. Nehemiah, he went and risked his life before the king. Jesus gave his life. If you read the book of Nehemiah, for 13 years, Nehemiah stayed and was the governor of Israel. He gave his time, his money, his life for 13 years of sweat. Sacrificed so much. Jesus sacrificed his blood so that you and I could be picked up. People who don't deserve it because you saw value in us when no one else saw it. I'm praying for you, Crossing. It's time to pick it up. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much that you see something in us that we don't even see in ourselves. And Jesus, you left heaven not when we were your friends, but when we were sinners. And you were broken so that we could be made whole. You were cast down so that we could be lifted up. And now you want to use us. God, when we're insecure, when we don't feel qualified, remind us that you only use unqualified people. God, in those moments where we are waiting on you for a miracle, remind us that we just need an opportunity because we, we already have the favor of God. And God, when we want a new family, and when we want a new marriage, remind us that you rebuild with leftovers. And everybody said, amen. amen. Some of you, you have your, your communion cup with you. Communion's beautiful because it's, we do this in remembrance of him. The bread, the best visual picture I can give you is like a brick. Jesus was broken. That's what the, brick that's what the bread represents. His body was broken for our sin. And the cup was his blood that was shed because Jesus didn't purchase us with 
silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And we take communion because it's a reminder when our lives were broken, Jesus, our Savior, picked it up. Love you, church. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.